0: From Brethren Church gave us. You got to go back and listen to that one. I'm not kidding to you. When I heard it, I thought, Uh-oh, they might not let me come back anymore. They might say you're out, he's in, because that was a very, very fine sermon. So go back and check that one out if you missed it. Even if you heard it, go back. I've listened to it twice. So go back and hear it again because it was really, really good. But uh, we're back to just yours truly today, opening the Word to you, and we are in the Book of Revelation. And today, the whole sermon is about two numbers. You know, there's a whole lot of numbers in the book of Revelation, right? So the whole sermon is about two numbers. The first number is 666. So we're going to talk about that one today. How many of you want to hear about that one today? Oh, okay. All right, that's good. And the second number is 1000, zero, 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 1000 000, or the millennium. We're going to talk about that one today. So the whole sermon is arranged around is explaining those two numbers as they're found in the book of Revelation. So here we go. 666 six, six. gives me the creeps to just even put that number up there. What is that number about? Where do we get it? What's it in there for? Why do outlaw bikers, one percenters, get it tattooed on their bodies? More importantly, what did it mean to the people in those seven churches of Asia Minor to whom it was originally given, to whom this letter was originally sent, and all the people between them and us and all the people till Christ comes again? What does it mean? All right, we're going to get to 666, but you need a little backstory. So I'm going to drop back to Revelation chapter 12, where there's a woman. Jesus gives John a vision, and John sees a woman who's great with child. That woman is Old Covenant Israel. The child is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came through Old Covenant Israel. But immediately, as soon as he sees the woman and the child, Jesus Christ, a dragon, Satan, appears and tries to Tries to thwart God's purposes, tries to bump off the child, tries to kill our Savior. He tried it just after Jesus' birth when Herod. Tried to figure out who are all the kids that he might have been a part of. Let's kill them all. Didn't get Jesus. He tried it at Jesus' temptation. Go ahead, throw yourself down. God will catch you. Angels will pick you up. It'll be okay. Tried to kill him there. It failed. Tried to kill him on the cross. He did die on the cross. And Satan thought, yes, I have succeeded. I have killed the Messiah. He didn't reckon on the resurrection. He didn't know he'll come back victorious over death and in power and appear to men and ascend to the right hand of the Father. So the, the, Satan, the Satan, the dragon, appeared and tried to kill the Savior, but he failed. Then in chapter 13, there are two beasts The dragon, Satan, has two allies, two team members, two kin, two assistants, two agents who team up with him in attacking the people of God, and both of these agents appear in John's vision as beasts. Now, we know that John is working a lot from various Old Testament prophets. We know he's importing a lot or continuing a lot from the book of Daniel, and in the book of Daniel, there are four beasts, and each one of them is a kingdom that is opposed to God and his people, a kingdom that is opposed to the gospel, and so no, no surprise that that's what these beasts are all about. These two agents, these two team members of the devil, they're teaming up with him to oppose God and his people. Let's have a look at the two beasts. First, Revelation 13:1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns. That's a, that's a beast that can hurt you. He's got ten horns. And seven heads. That's a beast that can hurt you. With ten diadems, there's ruling authority, there's governmental power on its horns, and blasphemous names it opposes God on its head. So that's beast number one, an agent of the dragon. And we know that it's human government when human government is opposed to the people of God, is opposed to the gospel, is opposed to the Lord Jesus. Human government, when it persecutes the people of Jesus Christ. First century hearers understood this beast rightly understood this beast in their day to be Rome. It was Rome. It was Rome that was the beast that was persecuting them. It was Rome that was making them lose their jobs. Confess that Caesar is God or you're thrown out of your job. We can't confess that. No job, economic persecution. It was Rome that was chaining some of them up and imprisoning them. It was Rome that was killing some of them. Some of them love not their lives unto death. Rome was the beast under which they suffered, because they would not worship Caesar of Rome. So Rome was their, their beast, number one. But Rome is gone. And does the beast still exist? Oh, yes. The beast is, all down through this age, till Jesus comes again, every earthly power that opposes the gospel and persecutes the people of God. The beast is always present. The beast is always active on the planet. There have always been beasts. There always will be beasts. Beast number one in our day, there's a long list of beasts on our planet who are persecuting Christians, but beast number one in our day is no doubt North Korea. That's top of the list. That is the most persecuting nation on the planet. And beast number two has moved up into close proximity to number one recently, and that is Afghanistan, the next worst beast on the planet, and so on down the list, and it's a long list. So these are the dragons, the devil's partners, human government that opposes God, that hates the gospel, that persecutes the people of God. What about beast number two? And it's from beast number two that we get 666. So hang in there. It's a slow build. We're getting the 666. We'll be there pretty soon. Revelation 13, 11, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. Oh, this one's kind of lamby. It kind of looks like a lamb. Oh, that's such a nice little lamb. But it spoke like a dragon. It looks like a lamb, but it has dragon words. It looks like a lamb, but it has devil's words. What is that? It is generally believed, it is widely believed, that beast number two is false religion. It says, oh, we're representing God were lamb-like. It might be false Christian religion. It might be false other religions. This is false religion, beast number two, teaming up with Christ-opposing government, beast number one. In their day, it was Judaism and Rome. In our day, it's North Korea, or actually in in most places, like let's go on to Afghanistan and others. In most places in our day, it's radical Islam teaming up with this government or that government or that government or that government, and that is where almost all the persecution of Christians on our planet is in our day. Maybe this beast could also be apostate Christianity, Christianity that no longer believes in Christ, that no longer believes in the gospel, and so it persecutes those believers who really believe God's word and really believe the gospel. So what do we have? We have the dragon and beast number one and beast number two, a furious devil who uses earthly powers, teaming up with false religions to persecute the people of God. That's been on the planet ever since Jesus spoke these words in the vision to John or showed these things to John. Okay, let's get to the number 666. Your patience running out with me. It's warm in here. Revelation 13, 16. Also it, the second beast, causes all... Both small and great, all the little people who are nobodies, all the big people who are somebodies, both rich and poor, both free and slave, he causes them all to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell economic persecution unless he has the mark. So here's where we get that thing about the mark of the beast. Ooh, spooky. Not really. We're going to talk about it. What is the mark of the beast? The mark, it goes on to say, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So it might be the actual name of the beast or it might be the number of its name. Then he says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man that same phrase is used later in the book of Revelation and translated differently. There it's translated. It is a human number, and then it says specifically, it's not an angelic number. That's what it should read here as well, in my opinion. It's a human number, and the number is 666. All right. So all that background, did you stay with me? James, did you stay with me? All right. All right you're going to be my man. James, you're close in the front. I can see you. So so there's the famous number. There's where we get it. Now, what is it? So there are different views. You're welcome to be wrong. I'm going to present you the right view. There are other views that Bible-believing, Christ-loving, God-honoring Christians will arrive at. Bless you if you have a different view. We can have a friendly debate about it. But I'm the guy you're paying to preach today, so you're going to get my view, all right? So, so here we go. What is that view? This view is, in my opinion, the opposite mark from the one we saw in chapter 7. Now, do you remember what we saw in chapter 7? John, in his vision, sees people, and look at that. I can tell which ones are Christians because they have the name of the Father or the Son on their foreheads. And in my vision, that was a Christian and that was a Christian and that one's a Christ follower because look at their foreheads. It says, God the Father, or it says, God the Son or Jesus on their foreheads. They have a mark in my vision. Now, later in John's vision, there's another mark. The other team has a mark. Look at that. I can tell who are the ones in my vision. I can tell who doesn't follow Christ. I can tell who rejects Christ. I can tell the non-believers. They also have a mark. Their mark is either the name of the beast or his number 666. So it's like there are two teams. You go to a baseball game to see your Orioles, right? That would, Thank you, Pastor Stan. They're all lame, man. Who do you all like? You go to, you go to the, the, the ball field to see your Orioles, but you got the cheap seats and you're way up there in the top and you can't even see down there on the field. I know there's a big screen, forget that. You're looking down there, and you get, but you can tell the Orioles, they're the ones with orange on and we're playing, who are we playing? Blue Jays. We're playing the Blue Jays, all right? And they're the ones wearing blue. So I can tell which team is which when I look down. Now that's the kind of thing that's going on here. So John and his vision of seeing people, and you can't do this in the real world. Wouldn't it be cool if we could? You can't do this in the real world, but in John's vision, you could tell that one's a believer, that one's not. That one follows Christ, that one follows the devil. And so the people of God are evident in John's vision, as are the people who oppose God. So this is where we get the number 666. Now, some believe, and you're welcome to believe, and you're welcome to be wrong if you want to be wrong, but some believe that there's going to come a literal day where people will be walking around on the planet, and they'll actually have 666 on their head. Well, some biker dudes do already, all right, or they'll have 666 on their hand, and you won't be able to buy or sell. By the way, some people are actually saying that this is the, um, this is the vaccinations for COVID. Have you heard that? Like, unless you get the vaccination, you won't be able to buy or sell. That's almost true, by the way. Like, I tried to go to Panera the other day, and it has this sign. uh, If you've been fully vaccinated, you're welcome to come in with no mask. I haven't been. So, um, and I didn't have a mask. So, they're like, don't come in, Steve Hartland. Okay? It's not that. It's not that, people. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not trying to say it's that. But it's kind of like that. There's a mark In John's vision so that he can pick out believers, and a mark so he can pick out who the non-believers are. But why is the mark for the non-believers 666? Like, I can see why God's team has Father, God the Father, or God the Son on their head. I get that. Why does the other team have 666? Why that number? To answer, there are a lot of numbers in the book of Revelation. Which number appears the most in the book of Revelation? Yeah, seven, 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 seven. What's the number seven communicate? Yeah, perfection, completion. It's God's number. It's the number seven. So what does six imply? Didn't make it. Didn't make the cut. I say it somewhat tongue-in-cheek, loser, because the devil's the loser. Why three sixes? loser, loser, loser. That's what this is, I think, and that's what the people I'm reading think. To get at this, it will help us to go back to Isaiah 14. We're not going to actually turn there. We're not going to take the time. But you might remember if you've read Isaiah 14, it's one of two Old Testament passages that tell us about the fall of Satan, Satan's original fall. And what happened? He was the most beautiful of all the angelic beings God had made, and it went to his head. He got a swelled head, and he had. There are five I wills in Isaiah 14. He says, "I will be this, and I will be," this. and the last one is, "I will be like the Most High." God says, "Loser, Psh, cast him down. You don't make the cut. You don't compare. You fall short. You fail. You're on the losing team." and and John sees in his vision this 666. What is that? All the people who follow the devil, who is defeated by Christ, all those people get his mark on their head. It is the number 666. So there are two teams, two marks. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if we actually had those marks and I could sit here and look around the room, and I'd know. All right, that one's a believer. That one's not. That one's a believer. That one's not. Here's what. I, here, here's how I better look. If I look at that one. Here's how to look. If I look at that one. Wouldn't it be interesting? We don't know, but God knows. And we know for sure this: every one of us in this room is wearing the one mark or the other. Either you're a child of God and you have His seal which is the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4. Either you're a child of God, and you have the name of Jesus and the name of the Father written on your head, not really, but in John's vision. If John flipped on the lights in his vision and saw you walk through, you'd have that name on your heads, or you have the number 666 on your head. So I don't feel like I'm following Satan. Are you following Jesus? No. Then you're following Satan. There are no other teams. These are the only two teams on the planet, the team of Jesus Christ or the team of the dragon. And friend, you're on one of those teams. So I think I'm on the team of the dragon. How do I transfer over to the team of the Son? Oh, it's very easy. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, and you'll have the Father and the Son on your forehead. So that's what I have to say about 666. Now a second number. 1,000, zero, zero, zero. One the millennium. Now, again, there are different positions on this. Forgive me if you're new to all this and this is going to get, going to use some words you don't know. Learn some new words. Enjoy. So, there are, there are different ways Christians approach this. Equally Bible believing, equal Christ loving people, but we come out with different interpretations of this. So, some say this 1,000 is a literal. 1,000 years that will be in the future. It's called the millennium. And at the end of this church age, Jesus will come back and he will reign and rule in Jerusalem for those 1,000 years. It will be just a wonderful time. The gospel will go in power. Many people will be saved. That's the view that was handed to me when I first became a believer. That's the view I held for many, many years till I read the best expositors of some other views. Anyway, there was a point there. Some of you got it. So that's one view. Another view is that this 1,000 years will come later in the church age as we preach the gospel and God pours out His Spirit and there's major, major revival on the planet and almost everybody's believing in Christ and following Him and the church will usher in a 1,000 years like that after which Christ will come back. That's post-millennial, pre-millennial, coming of Christ, post-millennial. Then there's the amillennial view. The amillennial view is ah ain't none, negative, in the sense that we don't believe there's a golden age. We do believe there's a thousand years, but it's metaphorical, and it's this church age. Right now is the thousand years, but the thousand years is not going to be this amazing ushering in of righteousness and everybody's a believer. No, the thousand years are going to be like they have been so far. The thousand years are going to be like they are now. Are you following me? Are you with me? Shake your head yes or I'll repeat it all. You don't want me to repeat it all, right? You don't want to go back and hear more. So there are these three positions. Now, again, since you're paying me to preach, I'm going to preach the amillennial position, which is this. This is the millennium. And it's not going to be a golden age till Jesus comes back, and that will be the new heavens and the new earth. So, what does an amillennialist say about the 1,000 years? The book of Revelation is full of symbolic sights and symbolic events and symbolic numbers, you don't believe me? Just think about when Jesus Christ first appears in the book. He appears as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not really a lion. And then the lion suddenly somehow becomes a lamb. He's not really a lamb. The lamb has seven horns. He doesn't really have seven horns, but it's the number seven. There's a number that's figurative. Jesus isn't really a lamb. He doesn't really have seven horns. It's all figurative. And many, 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 many other times in the book of Revelation, there's, there are figurative symbolic numbers. So in light of that, what does the 1,000 mean? It simply means a long time. How long will this age last? It will last a long time. Like in our day, we might say, oh, that's, it's a 1,000 if you want to pick a big number. Or it's a million if you want to pick it. Or it's a billion if you want to pick a big number. 1,000 was a big number for them. That was their big number. You want to say a big number? It's a 1,000. It means a long time. And remember how in Revelation 6:10 the martyrs who were seen under the altar, which had been a throne but suddenly turned into an altar because it's a vision, and there's martyrs. They've been killed for their faith, and they're under the altar where it's safe, where they're protected by God's presence. And what do they say to the Father? They, they cried out to Him and said, "'How long, O Lord?' until you take vengeance on those who killed us and who are killing our brothers and sisters. How long? And the the answer given them in heaven, while we're on heaven's time scheme, while we're on heaven's clock, the answer was a little while. It'll just be a little while. Well, that little while has been 2,000 years so far. How long is it going to be down here on earth time? A long time. A 1,000 years, for example. So this is figurative of a long time. The number 1,000 is symbolic. But having said all that, it's not even so much important whether the number is symbolic or whether it's a literal thousand. It's what happens in that thousand years that's really wonderful. What happens in the thousand years? Let's read on. Revelation 20, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. This is in John's vision holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Now, let me just tell you, by the way, there's not literally some chain that's going to chain the devil someday because the devil is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He's not doesn't have a physical presence like we do. No chain can hold him. This is a vision. Lots of things in John's visions can't be and won't be. There's no real chain. It's a vision. But in the vision, this angel sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, made that clear, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, what is the binding of the devil for a thousand years? If you believe that the millennium is a thousand years future, then you put the binding down there and you say he's going to be bound there, can't do anything on the planet for that whole thousand years. But if you're like me and you believe the thousand years is now, this church age, then how do you explain the devil being bound now? I thought he still roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I thought there are still fiery darts whizz whizz past my head that the devil's shooting at me. Where do you get this in your view, Heartland, Satan is bound for now? Well, I want you to read the text very carefully. Let's go on. Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, the Greek word there is the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, in order that, that's the Greek, three Greek little letters, hina, it's a purpose clause, there's a very limited, a very specific purpose for what John sees in his vision about how Satan is bound. In other words, it's not saying he is going to be bound in every way for the thousand years, but there's one very specific way that he wants us to know Something has changed in what the devil can do and can't do. Here's what it is. In order that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. Satan is bound in this age in this way, that he should deceive the nations no longer. What does that mean? Okay, in in Bible terms, Israel was not one of the nations. The nations were all the nations, Israel was the people of God, and they were the Goyim, the Gentiles, and they were the nations. Back in the first century and prior to the first century, prior to when Christ came to the planet, how many nations on the planet had the Word of God? How many of them had the Ten Commandments? How how many of them had a copy of the law of God? How many had the prophets? How many had the Psalms? How many had prophets preaching to them? Answer, only Israel. Well, Nineveh. Maybe you can squeeze in Nineveh, but we don't know how long that revival lasted. All of the nations on the planet were kept in thick darkness till this decisive change. There were people on our soil in that day, thick darkness. There were people on British soil in that day, thick darkness. Chinese soil, thick darkness. French soil, German soil, thick darkness. Only a tiny little piece of land next to the Mediterranean Sea had the gospel, had light, had truth, had God's word. And all the rest of the nations were kept in darkness. That changed at Jesus' cross. That changed at Jesus' ascension when he was seated in session at the right hand of the Father. It changed. Paul refers to this in his sermon at Lystra, Acts 14, I'll read it for you. Paul preached, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. He allowed them in God's providence. He allowed them to stay in their darkness. He allowed them to remain in their pagan darkness. Jesus sheds light on this in Matthew 12, 29. He says, or how can someone enter a strong man's house? Let's just take a minute here and stand. You be my strong man, all right? You're a strong man. Suppose I want to enter your house and steal some of your junk. It isn't junk. You have nice stuff. Some of your stuff, all right? It's junk compared to the kingdom of God. Suppose I want to enter your house, but you're in the house. What do I have to do before I take your stuff? I'm going to have to deal with you first, aren't I? I'm going to have to tie you up so you can't stop me from taking your big screen TV and your china and whatever else you got. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. This is Jesus saying, I'm about to plunder Satan. But first I've got to tie him up. I'm about to send gospel light to the nations. I'm about to release them from the darkness they've been in forever. So first I have to bind the strong man. Again in John chapter 12, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. There was a a decisive change that occurred at the cross and at the ascension. All the people will no longer be in darkness, and the gospel goes to Great Britain, and the gospel goes to the Americas, and the gospel goes to China, and the gospel goes to everywhere on the planet now. That never happened before. That changed because Satan was bound that he should deceive the nations no more. So that's what the thousand years is about. It's not so much about how long it lasts and we can debate whether it's exactly a thousand or a thousand and a little more or a thousand means a long time. What it means is we now live in the time when the gospel goes to all people. What a privileged time we live in. Think of the people who lived on this soil for thousands of years. They generated, they had children, they had grandchildren, they had more. For thousands of years, they never heard The law of God. They never heard the will of God. They never heard the word of God. Satan kept them in thick, thick darkness and all over the planet. And now we live in this age where we are sending the gospel everywhere. And you preach the gospel in the United States. And we're supporting a church in Germany. And it's all over the place. Again, this is the most exciting thing on the planet. Not SpaceX, not Amazon, not Tesla, not the stock market. It's the gospel going to all peoples. So in this age, there are two teams. There's the father-son team, and there's the dragon-beast-666 team. And the father-son team is taking the gospel to the nations, and the dragon-beast-666 team is trying to stop them, and that happens all down through the thousand years, but the gospel goes to the nations. This is what's being revealed to John, in my humble opinion. Here's a bit more about the thousand years. Do you remember back in Revelation 6-9, those martyrs, and they're under the altar, and they're saying, how long, Lord, how long do you take vengeance on those guys who killed us? How long, how long do you stop the persecution? And they were told, a little while, just rest a little while. Remember their concern was, uh, how long will it be? Here we're going to see them again. Let's go to Revelation 20 and verse 4. And here we see those martyrs again, and it says, they came to life. So they killed Paul. Now let's look up. Ah, oh, he's alive again. They killed Peter. Let's look up. Ah, oh, there he is again. They killed your brother. Ah, oh, there he is again. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. What is significant about the thousand years? The devil is bound on the earth. The gospel goes to the nations, and the martyrs are reigning. They're alive. They're up there with Jesus Christ. This is one of the significant things about the thousand years. What an encouragement. And what happens at the end of this age? What happens at the end of the 1,000 years? Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8a. And when the 1,000 years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison to do what? Watch this. And will come out to deceive the nations. The thing he was stopped from doing, he'll start doing again when he comes back out. He will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. So at the end of this church age, there's a bad time. We read elsewhere. We read in 2 Thessalonians, it will be a time of apostasy. Believers will be persecuted, and they will deny Christ, and they will turn away. And Jesus says, will I find any faith when I come back? Will there be any faithful people? So there will be a bad time, and Satan will be able to deceive the nations again, and then comes the end. In conclusion... That's your cue. In conclusion, I'm going to switch to one of Jesus' parables to bring this all together, to bring this all to a close. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares. You find it in Matthew chapter 13. It's the same message. In Jesus' story about the wheat and the tares, there's a man who plants wheat in his field. The field is the world, by the way. He's out planting wheat, so he's got this bag, and he's got seed, and he's walking around going that's the gospel going out and good seed is coming up out of good soil and people are believing on the gospel and becoming followers of Jesus Christ but, but then you look in the parable and there's also there are also tares there's also weeds coming up among the wheat and the guy says to the master do you want me to just cut them down and he says no no because if you cut down the tares you might cut down some of the wheat let's just let them both grow together there it is until the harvest That's what's happening in the thousand years. That's what's happening in this church age. All the way down through the church age, they're both going to grow together. The 666 crowd is going to grow together. And the God the Father and God the Son crowd is going to grow. There's going to be gospel spread and people believing. There's going to be Satan denying. Though he can't deceive the nations anymore. There's going to be both of these all down through the age. Jesus will come at the end and harvest the earth that's for a later time in this series so this is what John's vision shows us now I just want to ask you again you're alive you're on the planet God has a team God the Father God the Son the devil has a team 666 which team are you on I wish I could be like John in his vision right now, and all of a sudden I can see. All of a sudden it shows up on your forehead. I can't know. But you know. Are you a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know how easy it is to switch teams? All you have to do is repent and believe. Repent means you turn. You turn to God that he would be your God. You turn to the Lord Jesus, that he would be your God, your Lord, your Master. You turn, and you believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That's the free offer of the gospel. And all you have to do to leave the one team and get on the other team is turn and believe. And I'm going to pray right now that some of you, some of you with us online, that you would turn and believe. Maybe you'll pray with me and turn and believe. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing people into this room and others who will watch online and others all over the world who will hear from somebody else about the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you draw people in in this place to the Lord Jesus? Some of you may feel the Spirit of God tugging at your heart. And I want to plead with you to let him tug you right into the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? The words don't matter. Your heart's what matters. Father, I turn. I repent. I turn to you. I want you to be God in my life. And Father, I believe. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you allow his shed blood to wash me of all my sins and make me a child of God by grace? We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.